DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation, presents The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization, with Father Scott Trainer. Father Trainer serves as the rector of St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver, Colorado. He has been an instructor and spiritual director for many of the programs at the Institute for Priestly Formation. He is a retreat master and spiritual director who has traveled the country as a speaker for various conferences, diocesan gatherings, and national conferences. He is the author of The Parish as a School of Prayer, Foundation for the New Evangelization, on which this series is based. The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Scott, thank you so much for joining us. It is a delight to be here, Chris. Thank you. When we talk about prayer and that encounter with God's great love, for the Catholic in particular, the sacraments become a great portal and reception of that love. Amen. It's, it's the truth. John Paul II had a beautiful reflection, as, as many times over also did Pope Benedict XVI. Um, of the relationship between my personal prayer and then the communal prayer of the church in the liturgy, in the sacraments. So just mm-hmm. taking Mass as a particular example. And the reflection goes like this, that they it's like respiration, breathing in and breathing out. And the more that I grow in relationship with God in my personal prayer, the more I'm going to receive out of the unfathomable grace that God offers us in the Mass to receive, think about this, to receive communion with Jesus, body and blood, soul and divinity. Communion with Jesus is offered to me at every Mass. Well, that's an ocean of grace poured out into the Dixie cup of my heart. (laughs) And as I grow in the life of prayer, in my own personal prayer, God expands my heart to be able to receive more and more of him. And the more I receive at Mass, uh, the deeper and more intimately and the more freely I'll enter into that personal relationship with God in my daily prayer. So it's really uh, both grow and deepen or shrivel and diminish with each other. My experience of the grace that's offered to me at Mass and my personal life of prayer, they rise and fall together in this kind of way. They're both necessary. Um, we talk about these dynamics of personal prayer, and maybe we'll get to say some more about them, of acknowledge and relate, receive and respond. Well, these are relationship dynamics that are engaged at the Mass. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned. That's acknowledging and relating to God the reality that I've sinned. Mm-hmm. I don't know in the potential right, out of people who are there at Sunday Mass, how many really take time that this is a moment in the Mass where corporately I can offer God my awareness of my sins and receive the absolution of those venial sins that I'm aware of, right? Um, That gets into a whole question of how people are approaching and preparing for the public worship of God as they come together at Mass. And I'll just say at this moment that the deepening participation in the liturgy of the Church grows hand in hand with my deepening intimacy with God 
throughout my day and especially in my daily time of prayer. Have you spoken to us in previous conversations of the, that use of the imagination to embrace reality, mm-hmm. that when we have the opportunity to go to Mass, to, to participate in the Holy Eucharist, that great celebration, if we engage that imagination and the reality, there's so much to encounter, isn't there? Oh, there is. And this is the Catholic genius in our worship together, right? So the smells and bells. Why do we have these things? Well, because they are physical signs that appeal to our physical senses that help spur our engagement with spiritual reality. And the more I come to know about the Mass, like what we're doing and why we do it and where that comes from in Scripture and the history of salvation, the more meaningful the standing, the kneeling, the sitting, the singing, the candles, the incense, uh, the processing, the altar, the tabernacle, the pulpit, the arrangement of the sanctuary, the holy water font, all these aspects of Catholic worship, which when non-Catholics come into a Catholic church, they're kind of like fascinated slash weirded out by, right? Like, what is, mm-hmm. what is all this stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and if you're like me, born and raised Catholic, you just sort of take it for granted. It's just what we do. But when we start to understand its history, its depth, what it's representing, what it's signifying, uh, we are really drawn and we're ordered into the mystery of what's happening in reality as the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the power of Pentecost is being made present and effective for us in word and sacrament at every holy mass. So think about that for a second. All the power of Jesus' healings, all the wisdom of Jesus' teachings, all the forgiveness of Jesus's, given by Jesus in the shedding of his blood, the glory of the resurrection, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, made present and effective. We call all that the Paschal mystery, made present and effective for us at every Mass. Holy God, thanks be to God for this amazing gift of the reality of the Mass. And please, God, expand my imagination, expand my heart to be able to receive more of what's really happening. The more that people's hearts and imaginations are open to the reality of what's happening at Mass, what God is doing for us and inviting us into in Mass, we won't be hearing about 25% Mass attendance on Sundays. That won't be the issue. We're going to have to build new churches, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So that's a grace that God is eager to pour out on every one of us, whether today is the first time we've ever considered saying yes to a serious relationship with God or we've been living a life of discipleship for decades. There's so much more for every one of us to receive in the mystery of what's happening at the Mass and celebration of the other sacraments as well. Yeah, there's such a power to it, and it Ultimately, it, it's not even so much that it's the church building or the vestments or even the smells and bells that become a value to the heart that is so open for reception. I, I think of Cardinal Von Tuan, uh, who was the Vietnamese cardinal who was held prisoner, and what he experienced, even with his little the crumbs that he mm-hmm. would put together to be able to have an experience of the Eucharist. Yeah, uh, that small book of his reflections, Five Loaves and Two Fish, is 
a treasure. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful and just an amazing life uh, to reflect on. But the church is a good mother to her children mm-hmm. and like showers us with helps to dispose our hearts to enter into that reality. Uh, when this cardinal was 12 years old, uh, he couldn't have received what he received in that cramped prison cell as a grown man. He was formed and educated and just in a living way invited into that and in the formation of his life up to that point. And God knows what's coming and we don't. That's a whole other story. But the richness that we have, uh, the importance for really having beautiful churches, uh, a well-ordered, reverent, and beautiful liturgy mm-hmm. to take advantage of all the signs, the tangible things that help dispose our hearts to the reality. These are great gifts in the church, and uh, they really help to train the heart to encounter and enter into the mystery in a way that just can't happen in you know, a square cinder block room. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's as present to us as a group as he is to us as individuals in that that moment. Yeah, you know, the church talks about the, the four presences of Christ in the liturgy. Mm-hmm. So Christ is present in the assembly as uh, members of his body. Uh, Christ is present in the proclamation of the word. Uh, Christ is present in the person of the priest who is configured to Jesus as head and shepherd. And Christ is present in, above all, in the Holy Eucharist. Uh, But the presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist is a a different quality than those other real presences of him in the liturgy. uh, Because the whole Paschal mystery is made present and effective and is communicated to every person um, participating in that worship in his body and blood and soul divinity, the one sacrifice of Christ made, represented, made present again uh, and effective for us at Mass. So just a tremendous, tremendous richness as the church gathers her members for our worship together on Sunday and, of course, on every day. In Instead of going through each portion of the liturgy, which is of a tremendous value, mm-hmm. I mean, for anyone who wants to to learn more and to enter it more deeply, could we speak about the ARRR, that yes. that time of being aware and the receptivity for the for the person now who's hearing this, and maybe is going either to Mass for the first time, or maybe they're going for the umpteenth time, Mm -hmm. but now with this new opportunity to encounter. Sure. Um, So just to help those who are listening along, Mm ARRR, it stands, it's an acronym we use at the Institute for Priestly Formation as we're helping people teach them, giving them tools to enter into prayer in a real relational way. So going beyond just saying my prayers to a way that really engages my heart and opens my heart to a personal encounter with God the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So the acronym stands for Acknowledge, Relate, Receive, Respond. And what is that about? Acknowledging. This is, first of all, paying attention to 
what's going on in my heart, my thoughts, my feelings, and my desires. And then secondly, making this huge interior leap on the basis of what I'm aware of, taking stock in the midst of a busy day as I pause to pay attention to what my, my thoughts, my feelings, and my desires, then making the huge interior leap to tell God all about it. That's what we mean by relate. Mm-hmm. Tell him all about it. The good, the bad, and the ugly, the pious, the impious, whatever. Whatever's going on in my heart, just with trust and transparency, God, this is what I'm thinking. The profound, the shallow, everything, you, you name it. If I'm aware of it, if it's on my heart and my mind, I want to choose to tell God all about it because prayer is not just sort of navel-gazing introspection. It's a relationship. Mm-hmm. And we all know in our relationships, if I don't know what's going on with me and I'm not willing to share that with someone else, my intimacy with them is going to be very, very limited. Okay? Mm-hmm. And if I do those two things, if I pay attention to what's going on in my heart and I choose to tell God all about it honestly and consistently, that will render me maximally receptive to what God has for me, to his grace, his blessings, and awareness of his presence and his power and his love. And we talked in an earlier conversation about in relationship with God, receptivity is the most important thing. And how do I become more receptive? Well, by choosing again and again to honestly acknowledge and relate whatever's in my heart. And then what I receive from God does call for a response. So we talk about those, those four things not as a method of prayer, so if I'm praying for an hour, it's not like 15 minutes acknowledge, 15 minutes relate, 15 minutes receive. No. Mm-hmm. But these are relationship dynamics. If I'm growing in intimacy with God, all four of those things will be happening on a regular basis. right? Mm-hmm. So in a given hour of prayer, I might be spending a lot of time just pouring out my heart to God, doing a lot of relating. Another time in prayer, I might just be so scattered that I just I have to spend a lot of time like, what is going on in my heart? Like naming it and noticing it. Uh, there are other moments in prayer and sometimes whole periods of prayer where I'm just absorbed in a, a sense of being with God, really receiving from him joy and peace and comfort and healing and forgiveness or some other grace or blessing. And I'm just awash in it, mm-hmm. uh, which is a tremendously beautiful experience. And there are other times where God is inspiring and directing very specific responses. Go talk to that person. Go um, apologize to that person, you know, whatever it is what he's inspiring me to do. So these are just dynamics of growing intimacy with God. And our intimacy with God, our relationship with God, will not be growing for very specific reasons if over time we're avoiding any one of those four key dynamics, acknowledge, relate, receive, or respond. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's a once over lightly on Mm A-R-R-R. Well, uh, IPF didn't make that stuff up. Okay. It's uh, just, it's, in the habit of every tradition of prayer that we have in the church. And as the mass is the supreme prayer of the church, you would expect to find those dynamics in it. Okay, So let's just think of the moments of taking stock of what's going on in our heart that we're invited to in mass. Right? I, we mentioned before the Kyrie, uh, where I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have sinned through my own fault. Great. There's a moment, let us pause and call it like, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare to uh, celebrate these sacred mysteries. That's the invitation. Let us acknowledge our sins. Uh, at the very beginning of the Mass, the sign of the cross. Why do we pray? It begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's acknowledging that I'm in the presence of God as we come together for our worship. The Lord be with you. That's an acknowledgement 
That's a prayer. Let us acknowledge that God has chosen, has dedicated himself to accompany us at every moment. And we can go on and on about all these moments that we're uh, uh, invited to acknowledge what's going on in our heart. Uh, at the petitions, let us pray. We're invited to take stock in our heart and what are the good things I want to ask of God. And so on and so forth. There's just continual invitations throughout the Mass to acknowledge the thoughts, feelings, and desires of our heart and then to entrust them to God. Okay. Relating. Well, every time we're invited to acknowledge in the Mass, we're always invited then to communicate that to God. So they just always go hand in hand. How about receptivity? Well, God speaks to us through the liturgy of the word. As we read the readings typically from the Old Testament and the New Testament letter and the gospel, it is a feast of the word of God. And this is an important, again, check. Like when I go to mass, do I really expect that God intends to speak to me? This idea of walking into mass with an expectant faith is a huge, of huge importance. Do I expect that God actually has a word for me? Have I taken a time before I go to Mass to read through the readings for that Sunday, if I go on Sunday Mass? You know, and to pray through that. I guarantee if a person does, if they take a time, a few times through the week, to pray with, in a Lexio style, the readings for that coming Sunday, they're going to hear the readings at Mass in a whole new way. And whether it's a wonderful homily or a lousy homily, they're going to receive a word from God that really speaks to them and brings them to life and ministers to them. There's a lot to receive in God's word. I think that brings up a good point that we're expecting God to speak to us, not necessarily the priest. Right. So if he does, if the priest has something that, that excites our hearts and, yes. and that's praise God. But if he doesn't, it's not the priest's fault. It's, what we're waiting for is God to speak to Amen. us. Amen. And I tell people, um, listen, uh, <laughs> so I was at my Newman Center for the last five years, and one of the great joys of that time, was a lot of things that brought great joy to me and my priestly heart, but was that people started bringing things to take notes. And they weren't trying to scribble down every word I was saying, because that's not of great use. But they learned and tried to help encourage and foster this that, listen, there's going to be something that strikes your heart in this Mass. It might be a lyric from one of the hymns. It might be a word from Scripture. It might be something that I say in my homily. It might be one of the prayers from the colics or the Eucharistic prayer. It might just be something that comes unbidden into your heart where you know this is the Lord speaking to you and ministering to you. And you want to make a note of that for yourself. So I'm quite delighted if I'm preaching for 15 minutes, I am delighted that if two minutes into my homily, something clicks for this person and they don't hear another word that I say because they're attending to this thing that arrested their attention and drew them into a lived experience of the living God right in the middle of mass. And they're talking to God about what stirred up in their heart there and asking him to come into it and just involved in a personal encounter with God right in the middle of mass. Thanks be to God mm -hmm. that they've heard nothing of the rest of my homily, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because the only thing that's of worthwhile is of what God is saying to the person's heart. And he can use any of these elements of our worship together to do that. And sometimes that can be the preaching, sometimes not. Uh, but God is not silent. He's addressing us and he knows us. Uh, so yes, amen. 
Amen to all mm-hmm. that. So we receive from the word of God. And then, I mean, my gosh, at the Eucharist, we receive the uh, body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus. Communion with him. A one flesh union with the living God is what's offered to us as we come for communion. Again, another moment going back to relating the offertory. I want to dwell on that. Of course, the bread and wine and the collection are presented. But that's a symbol. And what we're invited to in that moment of the Mass is to offer ourselves to God that through the sign of the bread and wine, we're offering the gifts of the community. Well, the greatest gift that you can offer to God is yourself and your situations and what's in your heart and what's going on in your life right now. And can I place that on the altar with the bread and wine so that when the priest prays the epiclesis, may the Holy Spirit come upon these gifts and make them holy. Like me, my life, my situations are right there on the altar because I've offered them to God, that's relating, offered them to God to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that transforms my whole life into the body and blood of Jesus. This is what the Eucharist is aimed at, like to draw our life into common union with Jesus and in an all-encompassing way, body and blood and my soul united to Jesus, his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Mm. So that amazing exchange, the chance to offer. And then uh, what we receive through Mass, which I, you just it would be impossible to say too much about what God offers to us and is able to be received at Mass calls for a response and uh, a moment the the sending the mass is ended go in peace go in peace to love and serve the Lord and the different formulations for the sending at the end of mass uh, there's a commission that echoes the great commission that Jesus gives us in the gospel to go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Every person who comes to Mass in what they've received from God, God is inviting a very specific response for them in their life circumstance, in their relationships, in their vocation to fulfill the Great Commission. And if we walk out of Mass without a sense of being empowered and mandated to fulfill the Great Commission in a very particular way, I want to pause and ask God, God, show me what do you want me to do with what you just gave me and make it clear and simple and easy. And if we ask God to inspire us in that way, he will. So on this point, I'm reminded of a a parable in uh, Matthew chapter 24, and it's the parable of the faithful or the unfaithful servant. And Jesus poses this question, who then is the faithful and prudent servant whom the master has put in charge of his household to distribute to them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master on his arrival finds doing so. Amen, I will say to him, amen, I say to you, he will put him in charge of all his property. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is long delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards, the servant's master will come on an unexpected day at an unknown hour and will punish him severely and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there'll be wailing and grinding of teeth. Mm. Okay. So I read that parable, and then I ask people, what did 
the master, what was the job the master gave to his servant? It wasn't like, hey, you're in charge, do a good job. Mm -hmm. It was a very specific task. Distribute the food at the proper time. So God, when we receive the grace of God, whether it's at Mass, in our prayer, wherever God is blessing us, that out of love for us, God invites a very concrete response to the gift that he's given us. Okay? To give as a gift, in a very particular way, the gift that we have received. And I always want to have a clear sense of that. And if I don't, I just want to ask God to help me, help make it clear. And he will. He will. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking of this in light of uh, one day I was imagining standing before God in judgment. And God looking at me and saying, my son, have you done what I've asked you to do? And kind of what came up in my heart in that time was a, a kind of ambiguity and insecurity in the ambiguity. Because I imagine myself, like if that, like a comet dropped through the roof right now and I was standing before God in judgment and he asked me that question, mm-hmm. I'd be like, well, I mean, I tried to do my best and, um, but I'm sure I failed a million times. You know, I think a lot of mm-hmm. people who are listening can re- could relate to that. Like, sure. you know, I strive to do God's will and, but I know I fail and then I'm sure that I just fail in ways I don't even know. And so as I was praying, I'm imagining God saying, okay, so how have you failed? And then I tell God everything I've ever confessed in confession, all my sins. And he says, yes, that's right. And I have forgiven you your sins. So is there any other way that you have failed? And as I'm imagining this in my prayer, I just sort of think like, well, I'm sure there is. And I I don't know what it is, but I'm sure that you've asked me to do things that I just didn't even pay attention to and whatever. And then God looks at me and says, by your own words, then I assign you with a place with the hypocrites where there'll be wailing and grinding of teeth and I'm in hell. This is what was going on in this particular time of prayer and retreat. And in that moment, I had great offense in my heart towards God. And that, of course, really arrested my attention. Like there was something in me that said, hey, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. right and I just knew in that moment of course of course I'm never going to be able to look God face to face and say you're not treating me fairly like you're unjust it's unimaginable mm-hmm. but there there it was in my heart and I was really stuck in that because I was like no I mean I can easily imagine this conversation with God and then where am I and it was as I was praying with this passage that's why I'm talking mm-hmm. about this time in prayer but then I realized, see, there's a, I had a confusion in my mind about what it means to do God's will. Mm-hmm. And it was related to that idea that somehow this master said to his servant, hey, you're in charge, do a good job until I get back. Because when the master returns, if that's what the conversation had been, there could be a debate. Like, hey, I was doing a good job. I thought I did everything fine. He's like, no, no, what I wanted you to do was this, this, and this. Well, you didn't say that. You said, I want you to do a good job and do the best you can and I, you haven't done it, and now you're done, and you're going to be punished. Hey, that's not fair. And there can be that cry in the heart because, uh, you know, I want to know what God wants me to do. But sometimes I ask God what he wants me to do, and he doesn't seem to be very forthcoming. Right? It's mm-hmm. not clear, right? Right. And so if God were to judge me, 
on that and say, and send me to eternal punishment, there'd be something in my heart that rebels and says, that's not fair. Well, the confusion, of course, is in me. God is a God of revelation, and he wants to make clear to me and to you and to every person precisely what he's inviting us to do in response to the grace that he's given us. And so the master didn't say, hey, you're in charge, do a good job. He said, distribute the food at the proper time. It's very clear. It's very distinct. And everyone in the world, including the, the servant himself, will know whether he's done this or not. It's just not, there's no room for debate. Mm-hmm. You did this or you didn't do this. And it was clear and it was specific and there's just no debate. Okay. So I started praying. God, show me what you want me to do and make it sound like something like distribute the food in the proper time with that clarity, that specificity. And amazing things started to happen. Like what would I hear in my heart in response to like this beautiful uh, grace or comfort that I've received in prayer? God, what would you have me do with this grace? Call your mom. Like, really? Call your mom. She loves it when you call. You make her day. Uh, okay. <laughs> call my mom. Jesus, what, you, what do you want me to do? What are you asking of me? Go to bed on time. You know, you have to get up early in the morning and the day is going to be difficult if you don't go to bed. Go, out to, go to bed on time. Leave the work aside. Go to bed. Are you serious? Yeah. Go to bed. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Apologize that to that guy. You were a jerk to him. Go apologize and ask his forgiveness. Oh, but he just, like, he didn't, you know, it's not that big. Go apologize to him. Really clear, really specific, really concrete things. And that was revolutionary for me. And it's not unique to me. It's, this is available to every one of us. If we will ask, God will make it very clear. And we can just keep asking until it's really clear. Make it clear. Make it simple. Make it easy, Jesus. What are you asking of me today? For every one of us, every day, there's a specific response to God's love that God is inviting us to. And he wants to make that clear. And he wants that response to flow out of the grace that we're actually receiving from him. And he knows how to do that. And he can make himself very clear. And then I'll tell you, it becomes daunting in a whole new way. Not because there's going to be like, I thought I was doing a good enough job and I'm surprised that God didn't think it was. But God makes himself perfectly clear and says, go to bed on time, apologize to that guy, call your mom. And I look God square in the face and say, no, just not going to do it today. Oh my gosh, the mystery of sin. Where does that come from in my heart? You know? And then I need to bring, I need to go to confession for that. You know? But really concrete, really specific, really clear. Um, that's how God wants to inspire our response to him out of acknowledge, relate, receive, respond day by day in our life of discipleship. And again, I've, I've said this many times, but the sense of adventure that God is relating to me, he's present to me in all of my circumstances, he wants me to entrust my heart to him. As I do, he's filling me with specific graces and then inviting a particular response, how to give as a gift what I've received as a gift. <laughs> It transforms daily routine life into an adventure with the divine, adventure with the living God who is really leading me step by step to the glory of heaven. Thanks be to God and thanks God for his mercy. Amen. Can we safely say, Father, that in that response from God to that question, what is it that you want from me? Mm -hmm. What, What is it I am to do? Yeah. 
that it's we can safely assume he is not going to a non-virtuous response. Oh, of course, absolutely, right? And this is important, and it gets into the whole realm of um, discernment of spirits, right? Mm. Because when I ask God a question like that, uh, what I hear in my heart could come from God, you know, mm-hmm. the thought that comes to mind. Uh, that could come from God, it could come from me, and it could come from the enemy. And so uh, to grow in obedience to God, I really have to grow in discernment of spirits to be able to understand the difference between what comes from God, what just comes from me, or what comes from the enemy. So I can say a full yes to what comes from God and to resist effectively the temptation, the lie that comes from the enemy who would lead me away from God and away from the fullness of life. And so that's really important. I have to be able to be discerning uh, in that regard. But God knows each one of us and knows our capacity. So if a person who has not had the opportunity to learn and be steeped in the rules for discernment or benefit from good spiritual direction, God guides and protects. So if I'm exercising my desire, like, God, I really want to know your will, and I want to know that it's you, and I want it to be clear and simple and easy, he will provide for that. In the moment and over time, he really provides for that. Because he's a God of revelation. He knows our capacities. He doesn't ask what's impossible of us. So mm-hmm. uh, God is going to provide for the person to guard their heart against the lies of the enemy if they haven't you know, acquired those skills on their own through um, appropriating the wisdom of the church in this area. Like he really does provide. So we shouldn't be daunted uh, and think, oh, that's not for me. I'm not expert enough or trained enough or experienced enough to do that. God knows exactly where we're at today, is perfectly capable of guiding us and guarding us against the enemy as we ask him to do it. In closing in this particular episode, what would you have that seeker experience? What would you like them to open up to? Mm. Um, what is the particular way that you've been blessed by God today? So if I can, if I have a minute, just tell a little story. It's Mm -hmm. something I speak about at a lot of conferences I give. But I have this image of a little boy who gives a a fistful of dandelions to his mom. I call it dandelion theology, right? Mm. And uh, so, you know, little boys, they want to give something beautiful to their mom. And they know that mom likes flowers, but they don't have money to go buy a dozen long stem roses because they're just a little boy. But they see these pretty yellow flowers out in the backyard. And so they gather them up and give their mom a fistful of dandelions. Now, you have the mom gene, right? Mm-hmm. So what do moms do when their boys run in with a fistful of dandelions? What do you do? Oh, celebrate. Love it. Love it. What do you say? Thank you. Thank you. What else do you say? Um, go wash your hands. <laughs> yes. What else? No. Before that, thank I you. I love you. I love you too. Yeah. They're beautiful. Oh, right? they're beautiful. And what do you do with those dandelions? Put them in water. And where do you put that little glass or that little vase? Right there in the center of the table. Bang, yes. Or some places on the ledge above the kitchen sink, right? Mm-hmm. Right, in a prominent place. Yeah, okay. ex- Perfect. So it can always be gazed upon. That's right. That's right. And so what's going on there? Why do you not look at your son and say, get those weeds out of my house? You would never do that. Why? Mm-hmm. Because when we give a gift, we're expressing love. 
And when we love, when we express love, what we're really giving is ourselves. So moms know this, just they've not thought this through when they're dealing with the day and lines, mm-hmm. <laughs> telling their son to wash their hands. But they're, they just know that this is a love thing that's happening. And so, in fact, they are weeds. But mom knows instinctively that her son is giving this gift. And though it's a poor sign, he's infused that poor sign of the dandelion with something of immense value, his heart. He's giving himself. And so she cherishes the sign like she cherished her son when he was first born and placed in her arms with all that care and affection and tenderness, right? She deeply receives the gift, right? Because he's giving himself. And so she wants to put that in the vase and put the vase right there on the kitchen table, front and center, because guess what? Every time she walks into the kitchen, and she sees the sign. It's like receiving the gift all over again. And there's a deepening and a deepening and a deepening of the gift that's been received. Right? Well, that's it. And what do moms say to their sons? They say to their sons, thank you. They're beautiful. I love you too. And though no mom has ever used these words, she perfectly communicates in her receptivity a fourth thing to her son. Son, I want to receive more of you. And though moms don't use those words, every little boy hears those words. Because when mom generously receives the dandelions, what does the son do? Out the screen door and like dandelions are endangered species. He keeps doing this <laughs> again and again, right? Mm-hmm. And moms have limits in how much they're <laughs> So at some point, that's like, okay, enough with the dandelions. <laughs> but not in relationship with God. So I say this uh, encounter that a lot of moms are familiar with is a great icon of our relationship with God. But that relationship, uh, who's who? A relationship and a lot of times it's easy for us to say yeah i'm like that little boy mm-hmm. you know in my efforts to live a life of holiness to grow in prayer to live virtue to be of service and generous and everything else i would love to do something great for god three dozen long stem roses but you know with all my best efforts it just sort of amounts to like some lousy dandelions and we kind of have this image that god just kind of like rolls his eyes and pats us on the head very kind of tolerantly and says oh thank you very much and put those on the table and there might be a vague air of annoyance in the whole thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's easy for us to imagine but it's actually exactly backwards so it's jesus the eternal son our lord and savior who comes to us in the distressing poverty of the baby born in bethlehem in the manger and he offers himself to us but he does so in tangible signs. He gives us dandelions. And that might be a word from scripture. That might be an encouragement I received from a friend. It might be a beautiful sunset. It might be a song I heard on Catholic radio today. It might be whatever. But that's just touched my heart, has been a tangible, concrete, specific sign of God's love for me, his infinite love for me. Mm-hmm. Or we can think of the Eucharist. Under poor signs of a little unleavened wafer and cheap wine, Jesus so infuses those signs with the gift of himself that in the case of the Eucharist, they become him. And that's how he offers himself to us, tangibly, concretely, in a way that we can really receive. Because God loves us with an infinite and eternal love, but we can't wrap our minds around infinite and eternal love. But we can receive the specific, tangible expression of his love, the grace of the day, the word from scripture, the hug from my child, uh, the beauty of the sunset, 
whatever encouragement has come my way, I really can receive that. And it's a dandelion. And if I'll put that particular grace, that tangible sign of God's love for me on the kitchen table of my heart, and throughout my day, I'll keep looking at that. It's like a Trojan horse of love. What was simple and manageable will just unfold and expand into the fullness of God's love because that's how God relates to us around particular graces like that. Yeah, it's a particular grace. It has its purpose for now, but it is a Trojan horse of love that opens up into the fullness of God's self-communication. And in relationship with God, how can I say to God, God, thank you. I love you too. You're beautiful. And you know what? God, I want to receive more of you. Like the mom, I say all of that perfectly, even without words, if I will generously receive the particular tangible expression of God's love for me that he's offered to me this day. So my encouragement for our listeners today would be to, what is the dandelion that God has given you today? To notice it and to enthrone it on the kitchen table of your heart, even if it seems like a simple, poor little tangible thing. But you know that God is saying, I love you in the midst of it. I'm with you. I bless you in the midst of it. Just keep looking at it. Keep going back to it in the midst of the busyness of your day. And watch what unfolds in the fullness of God's love for you. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you so much, Father Scott. You're welcome. You've been listening to The School of Prayer. Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join us next time for The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer.